Good morning, all. I am delighted to be able to start a new series. We are in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is an extremely practical, uh, relevant book. Uh, looking forward to just the, the many uh, lessons that we can learn that we can apply to our everyday life, uh, to our nation, etc., as we work through the book of 1 Samuel. This morning we have a very encouraging and uplifting portion of Scripture. We have a wonderful account of Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Hannah is a truly remarkable woman. Hannah is an extremely godly woman by all accounts. So it's with great joy I will be speaking of her godly responses to very trying circumstances. Hannah is not only a godly woman, but she is a godly woman who has experienced much suffering. She serves as a reminder to each and every one of us that just because we are godly doesn't mean that we are necessarily going to be spared suffering. She is a godly woman who knows personal suffering. She's a godly woman who knows strife in her home. She is a godly woman who knows great disappointment. And she is a godly woman who even encounters heartaches associated with the attendance of worship. So we can learn a great deal from this wonderful woman because of her godly response to very difficult situations. There were many factors that could have attributed to Hannah having a very ungodly response to the situation that she found herself in. There were many obstacles and hurts that had to be overcome to show such restraint and faithfulness to the Lord. So we begin with the initial source of Hannah's pain and sorrow. It comes from the fact that she didn't have any children. If you look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says there was a, man, a certain man of Ramathium Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name is Elkanah, son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephratite. It tells us that he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So there's a succinct uh, beginning, opening premise to this story. Hannah had no children. And our theme this morning is Hannah's godly response to the many ordeals that she encountered. It wasn't simply the fact she did not have, have any children, but there were so many attending difficulties and hardships that were associated with that simple fact that she did not have any children. So we're going to begin by a consideration of the many negative or discouraging factors that Hannah had to overcome in order to have a godly response to her situation. First, Hannah had to overcome the negative relationship that her sister wife Penina had to Hannah. If you look at verses 3 through 6, it reads, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
The relationship between Hannah and Penina was not a good one, putting it mildly. In the text, it states in verse 6 that Penina was a, a rival. King James says an adversary to Hannah. Penina was combative in her relationship to Hannah. And Penina was constantly doing things to make Hannah's life miserable. It tells us in verse 6 that she used to provoke her grievously. Provoke her grievously. She did all kinds of things in order to make Penina's life, uh, excuse me, Hannah's life miserable. And what's worse is that Hannah's sister wife intentionally made matters worse for Hannah. For it tells us in verse 6 that her rival used to provoke her grievously, and now these words, to irritate her. She knew how to get under Hannah's skin. She knew how to make Hannah upset. And she knew how to bring pain and sorrow to Hannah. She delighted in making Hannah's life miserable. Perhaps you are in a situation in which you are in a marriage that has its complications, it, it has its difficulties, and maybe you can even identify with uh, Penina's uh, situation with a sister wife. Not the fact that uh, your husband is engaged in polygamy, but perhaps you're married to a, an individual that was married previously, and uh, you're having to deal with an ex. And you find that in dealing with that ex that there's a lot of difficulties, there's a lot of stress, uh, there's uh, some unpleasantries that are exchanged. Uh, there are uh, troubles that are having to be faced. Maybe you simply are experiencing disappointment of not having any children. Maybe you can relate to Hannah in that regard, that uh, you've wanted children and for whatever reason have been unable to have children. Perhaps you can simply just relate to the aspect of strife in your home. Maybe there is strife that exists between you and your children. Maybe as children out there, you're tired of hearing your parents argue all the time. And uh, it's very unpleasant to be at home where you feel like you're being mistreated or the fact that your parents may be overly strict or whatever your grievance or complaint is. The point is we all face issues uh, with our families. And in this instance, uh, Hannah was doing everything that she could to make matters worse. But there's something that's even more tragic in Hannah's sisters uh, intentionally sought to undermine Hannah's faith. It is more than just the fact that Hannah, excuse me, Penina wanted to make Hannah's life miserable. Penina wasn't just acting sinfully. She was acting absolutely wickedly. For she was trying to destroy the faith of Hannah. You say, where do you get that? Well, if you look at verse 6, it says, And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Now these simple words, because the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah was trying to drive a wedge between Hannah and Hannah's God. All at a time when they were going to Shiloh to worship. Now in the verse that is previous to verse 6, uh, verse 5, we find the very same words. If you look at 1 Samuel 1.5, it says, But to Hannah, that's referring to Elkanah, But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So we find the exact same phrase. The Lord had closed her womb in verse 5, 
and in verse 6. But as these two different individuals, Elkanah and Penina, reflect on that simple truth that the Lord had closed the womb of Hannah, there is a much different application to that truth. There's a much different way in which that uh, truth is being responded to. Elkanah was contributing the closing of Hannah's womb to an act of God, and uh, in that act of God, seeking to comfort Hannah, uh, the fact that she had no children. Whereas Penina is going to try to use this doctrine in a negative way. The doctrine of God's sovereignty can be soothingly applied like a medicine that brings healing to the wounded, or it can be wielded like a hammer that beats down the spirit of people that are in difficult situations. God's sovereignty can be a reason for comfort or despair. It can be responded to with either a bended knee of worship or a raised fist of defiance. Penina wanted Hannah to angrily blame God for her situation, to find fault with God for not giving her children. But Hannah did not take the bait. Hannah would not uh, view God in that way. Hannah chose to respond with a bended knee. Those Hannah's adversary was cruel. Hannah viewed God as loving and gracious. If you look at verse 11, in the prayer that we're going to look at extensively in just a few moments, but let me just point out the fact in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, in the prayer that uh, Hannah offers, she's vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant. She still had faith in a God that was caring and concerned with her condition. She believed that God would hear her prayer because God had concern for those that were in affliction, for those that were in hardship. She did not view this sovereign God as aloof, as distant, as, distant as hating her in any regard, but saw him as a God that could be approached, a God that loved her, a God that cared for her, a God that she could pray to. She still had faith in a God that was caring and concerned for her condition. You know, this aspect of a sovereign God turned out to be a great source of encouragement for Hannah. For Hannah realized that in attributing the fact that God had closed her womb and that was the action of God, she also believed that that very same God, that very same sovereign God, could open her womb and give her a child. In ascribing the childlessness to God, it provided a basis for her expectation that she would have a child. That's the proper view of God's sovereignty. Application, unfortunately, there are cruel people who only want to make our troubles worse. They delight in giving us a hard time. And sometimes will even seek to erode our faith and confidence in God. They'll discourage us from coming to church. They will give us the impression that, that prayer is of no use. And they will try to use the hardships in our lives to say that God is not caring or God is not in control or whatever the case may be. Uh, one of the ways in which God's sovereignty is sometimes viewed is the saying, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. 
Uh, our view of God's sovereignty is not fatalistic. It's not deterministic in the, the way in which the secular world uses that in a philosophical sense. Our sovereign God is a God that can be appealed to. Our sovereign God is a God that watches over and protects. The second discouraging factor that Hannah had to overcome was the repeated nature of her hurt. If you look at verse 7, it says, So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She used to provoke her. This situation went on for years. Place yourself in a situation that has been going on year after year after year after year. This is not a once and done encounter. This is not just a few months of unpleasant circumstances. This is an ongoing, difficult situation that has transpired over a period of years. And it was also a situation that was encountered in going to the house of the Lord. It's when they were going to the house of the Lord that, that this situation really came to its peak every year as they would get, engage in the yearly pilgrimage uh, to worship at the house of the Lord. The temptation would have been present for her simply not to go, uh, to stay home, uh, to avoid this difficult uh, situation that she was going to encounter. But that was not a response. The third discouraging factor to Hannah's having a godly response was the inadequate response of her husband, Elkanah. There's no question that Elkanah loved Hannah. In fact, it tells us that in our text in verse 5. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. He loved her. Elkanah was a, a godly husband, uh, went regularly to the house of God, and we'll look at more of Elkanah's godliness next week. He was a godly man. And he loved Hannah, and he sought to show or demonstrate his love in tangible ways. Verse 5, but to Hannah he gave a double portion. This is referring to uh, the sacrifice that had just been made. Uh, after they had made the sacrifice, they had the opportunity and privilege to sit down and eat the meat that was just offered in sacrifice. And so as they offered a sacrifice, it was a time to rejoice and give thanks. They were to sit down to a meal and to eat. And in order to show his love for his wife, he gave her twice as much food as anyone else had. And Elkanah tried to bring comfort to Hannah. He asked the question, why do you weep? Why are you sad? He certainly was uh, aware of her troubles. He understood the fact that she was unhappy. He was not insensitive to it. And then you have this statement at the end of verse 8, am I not more to you than ten sons? Well, that sounds like a very insensitive statement. And in some ways it is, but in other ways it's not. For listen as we work through this text. Elkanah had been trying to communicate to Hannah that she was more important to him than her bearing sons. It did not matter the fact that she had no sons. He still loved her. If you look at verse 5, it says, But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. The poor guy didn't know how to fix the situation. And giving a person twice as much food that doesn't want to eat is probably not the best way 
to solve the problem. But you need to understand the culture of the day. They were at a feast, and it was a feast of thanksgiving and giving praise unto God. They were at Shiloh with a thank offering. And Eli is saying to Hannah, as he presents this double portion of food to her, you are more important to me than any son you would give. I love you despite the fact that you are childless. In that culture, uh, to be without child was viewed as a reproach. But it was Eli's way of saying, you are precious to me. More precious than if you gave me children. The reality is that Elkanah could not fix the situation. There really wasn't anything that he could do or say that would relieve the stress, the anguish, the heartache that Hannah was experiencing. As many times, many times as husbands, as fathers, or mothers and wives, we want to be able to fix other people's problems. That's really true of men. We want to be able to fix people's problems. But there are many times in life that we cannot fix the situation. We can't remove the heartache, the hurt. We can't make the wrongs right. We would love to. And we fumble about trying to come up with words to say or actions to do, but they inevitably fall short. Hannah realized that Elkanah could not fix the situation. And again, we're going to see that she responds in a very useful, helpful, appropriate manner. The fourth factor that could contribute to her discouragement was the flawed messenger of God. The flawed messenger of God. Eli was the priest, and he was imperfect in many ways. First, he was imperfect in his home life. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, it makes mention that they're going to be going to Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. These two guys were wicked people. We find out in verse two that they were in chapter two that they were unbelievers, and they made worship at the temple just a, a terrible, terrible situation. Eli did not discipline his children the way that he should. We'll get all into that later on in in the weeks that lie ahead. The point is, Eli has his problems. And Eli was wrong in his rebuke of Hannah. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting at verse 9, it says, And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look at the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, 
And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Eli thought she was drunk. And so in that misunderstanding, rebukes her. Now just imagine. We often make excuse for our children's behavior by saying they're tired. <laughs> and so when they're cranky or, or, or when they are irritable, we say you need to understand they're tired, they're, they're weary, they're upset. Well, think of Hannah's condition. With all her hurt, the weeping, the heartache, the having gone without food, the dealing with Penina, the uh, interaction with her own husband. And now this priest come along, and while she is in her heartache and misery, crying out to God in prayer, he has the nerve and audacity to rebuke her for being drunk when she's not drunk at all. I think we could all imagine Situations like that in which people would just lose it and tell this priest off. Who in the world is he to come and tell him, her, that she is drunk? Why don't you deal with your own kids? Why don't you do with Hophni and Phineas? Why don't you correct them? Why are you coming to me who is an innocent person who loves the Lord and you are rebuking me and you are totally wrong? It happens. It happens. Maybe you have suffered a hurt at church. Maybe someone has offended you. Or perhaps I myself have disappointed you in some way. We learn a, a remarkable lesson from Hannah. Don't let that keep you from a true worship of God. Don't let that be a reason not to respond in an appropriate way to God. So let's look at these remarkable responses, and they really are remarkable. Uh, I am just so uh, pleased, delighted to be able to point these out in the life of Hannah. So what's Hannah's response to all of this, all this heartache, all this misery, all this disappointment and discouragement? Well, Hannah's first response to all her grief and heartache was to pray. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. That is the appropriate response to all the heartache and the misery and the suffering that we experience in our lives. In our deep distress, pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord with tears in your eyes. Pray with that knowledge of the hurt and the suffering. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 encourages us to cast all of our anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Hannah believed that God cared for her. She believed that he would be conscious of her affliction. And so she prays. She prays. Secondly, Hannah's response to our grief was to suffer patiently and submissively. She suffered patiently and submissively. She prayed silently, not for the whole world to hear. 
If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and it was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Thought hurt her heart. The scripture says that God knows our thoughts afar off. But in this instance, she's praying silently. Silently. She was not broadcasting her troubles to the world. She was taking them to the Lord. There is an acute awareness on Hannah's part that only God can meet her need. People sometimes expect our spouses to meet our needs, but they cannot. Our first Christian friends to meet our needs, and they cannot. And sometimes we even expect our pastors to meet our needs, and we cannot. She realized that only God could meet her needs. And in this instance, she prayed quietly, quietly. Closely related idea is that Hannah responded to the high priest by providing an explanation without being defensive. She provided an explanation without being defensive. She explained her situation. She did not want Eli to think badly of her. So in verse 16, she says, Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. Don't think of me as an unbeliever. Don't think me as a wicked person. I'm not drunk. I haven't defiled the temple of God. I haven't been here in insincerity. Instead, she gives an explanation of her behavior, verses 15 and 16. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a young woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk, neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. We live in a day and age that prizes vulnerability. And we encourage one another to be vulnerable. Hannah was vulnerable. She expressed her heart. She told the priest of her anxiety. She told the priest of her troubled spirit. She communicated to Eli all that she was feeling. She said to Eli, all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. But it's remarkable to me to what she did not say. She let her hurt known she was vulnerable, but she was vulnerable without bad-mouthing Penina. She didn't say, you don't get all that I've been through. Let me tell you about this awful woman that I have to live with. She did not complain about her husband and said, you don't understand, I have a husband that loves me, but, but he doesn't really meet my needs in the way that he needs to. She doesn't even express her frustration with Eli, saying, here I am, I'm coming here to worship, and now I have to encounter a priest that is rebuking me for something I didn't do. She doesn't share the details. She shares the angst. 
And that's a great lesson for all of us in our sufferings. We don't always have to share the details. We don't have to make our spouses look bad. We don't have to make our children look bad. We don't have to give every detail for people to understand that we're hurting, that we're in need. that they need to treat us with compassion and respect. Hannah responded with respect for the high priest despite all that she had suffered and the mistakes that he had made. Notice the respect in verse 5. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. He's referring to Eli as the one who is over her. If you look at verse 6, her statement, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. She was not rejecting Eli's authority. She placed herself under Eli's authority. She referred to him as her Lord and she as Eli's servant. She was still respectful, not just outwardly, but inwardly she was respectful because she was going to be willing to listen to the words of the priest, even though those words earlier had been cutting and difficult. She just didn't turn off the priest. She just didn't refuse to listen to anything that she had to say. And again, a remarkable response, because I think many of us can imagine situations in which if somebody acts that way towards us, we just don't want anything to do with them. We don't want to hear what they have to say. We just want to put a distance between ourselves and them. That's not a response. Next, Hannah responded by evidencing a tremendous dedication and commitment to the Lord. This prayer is remarkable. If you look at verse 11, it says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. We have to be very careful as we exegete this prayer because we can misunderstand this prayer very easily. So I'd like to point a few things out. First, Hannah's prayer was not an ultimatum to God. Hannah did not say, Lord, give me a child, and I will continue to worship and serve you. Don't give me a child. I won't worship and serve you. In fact, this is not about her at all. If you look at verse uh, 11, It says, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember one and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Lord, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him to you to be used as a servant of yours all the days of his life. This was not a simple bargain with God to get a selfish desire. 
what's remarkable in this prayer is that if she receives a son from the Lord, she's going to give him back to the Lord. All the days of his life. And we will see in the weeks to come that this child doesn't live with Hannah. She doesn't rear the child. From the time that he is weaned, probably three years old, I'll get into that next week, but from the time that this child is three years old, he doesn't live with Hannah any, any longer. This isn't just about a relationship that she wants to this child. This is about a child that she wants in order to serve the Lord, in order to be a godly influence in the nation of Israel. As we hear the, the prayer of Hannah in chapter 2, again, it's remarkable as she rejoices in what God is going to do through Samuel. Uh, but she is wanting this child, not purely for selfish reasons, but as a way to honor and serve the Lord. Uh, I remember my father, when I was a, a teenager, was making plans to build a house. And uh, the house was a very, very nice house by the day's standards. And uh, he really wanted this house to be something special. And the reason he wanted it to be something special is because he wanted it to be used of the Lord. So two things he did. One, he made extra bedrooms because he wanted to be able to entertain missionary speakers and people would come to the church. And if they needed a place to stay overnight, our house was always open, always offered as a place to stay. Another thing is my, my dad put... Uh, 12-foot ceilings in the basement because he wanted to be the basement ceiling to be high enough so that he could play ping-pong down there and we could have events and circumstances for, for the YF. My dad uh, always and my mother opened the home uh, to the YF to come and visit. He wanted the house to be used for the Lord. And he just didn't say that uh, in uh, flippant ways. He meant it. I remember one occasion. We had a campfire over at my parents' house. Uh, we had a beautiful outdoor setting, and uh, we were sitting around a campfire, and all of a sudden it started to pour. And uh, this area was muddy. It, there was ashes. It was a dirty place. And everybody ran from the house. And uh, we opened the front door and uh, walked in, uh, through the, the uh, foyer and into the uh, living room. The living room had a very light carpet. And uh, as everybody is piling into the, the living room, there was mud on this very light carpet. I remember one of the mentors saying to me, your mother is going to be furious with you. I said, no, she's not. I said, she's going to be delighted that the youth were over here this night. Why do we want what we want? This was a godly woman who wanted a child 
to serve the Lord. This was not a rash vow. This was not an unmeditated or... uh, It isn't a situation like Jephthah who didn't think through the situation. I believe that this is not the first prayer of Hannah as she went up year by year by year by year. And guarantee that from the text. But I believe that she offered this prayer repeatedly. That she'd have a child that would serve the Lord. And then her next response is that Hannah responded in faith to what she heard that brought her hope and comfort. Verse 17. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Eli's response brought great comfort to Hannah. As I said, she just didn't shut her ears to anything that Eli had to say, and it would be to her detriment if she would have done so. But she still listened. And Eli speaks of the fact that her prayer is going to be answered. Now, in the commentaries, there's a great debate as to whether this is a prayer or a promise that uh, the child is, uh, that this prayer is going to be answered. Is it a prayer or is it a promise? Grammatically, you can't answer the question. It's purely a matter of context. And so, to be quite frankly, I don't know. I don't know. It's a prayer or it's a promise. What we can say is the effect that Eli's words had on Hannah. They were received as a a tremendous blessing. She was comforted by what Eli had to say. Verse 18, then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. The hurt and the heartache that no one could meet, God met. She could eat. She was no longer sad. Hannah did not let her emotions keep her from hearing what Eli had to say. And as a result, she was helped. She responded in faith to the idea that she would have a child. She believed that God could and would answer her prayers. She believed that even though she was without child for so many years, had been barren, she believed that now she would have a child. Even Sarah didn't do that in the Old Testament. This is really a remarkable response. For Hannah, God's sovereignty was a medicine. She contributed her not having a child to an act of God who closed her womb So she believed in a God who could open her womb and give her a child. Her sovereign God was a big God. Her sovereign God was a gracious God, a loving God, a kind God, a hearing God. The sovereign God of the Bible is merciful and can be entreated. The sovereign God is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. We'll look at the birth of Samuel and these other events in the upcoming weeks. But this morning, it's fitting for us to stop here. 
and just learn the important lessons that Hannah suffered many years, and so may we. Hannah's home life was difficult at best, and so might ours be. No one could meet Hannah's need. There was no one that could take away her hurt and her sorrow. And maybe in a very real sense, you have come to realize that no one can meet your need. Not your spouse. Not your children. Not your friends. Not your pastors. And maybe you've been extremely discouraged and said, where else can I go? The only place you can go is to God. For he is the only one who can ultimately meet our needs. And that is a lesson for us who are trying to be a comfort to those that are suffering. Penina wasn't trying to be a comfort. Elkanah was. Words failed. Actions failed. But so what's striking to me is that there is no account of Elkanah praying for his wife or Elkanah entering into this prayer with Hannah, though a godly man. In all of our desires to fix other people's problems, let us point them to the Lord. Let's pray for them. Let's encourage them to place their trust and confidence in him. Let us take other people's burdens upon ourselves in prayer. And lastly, may we learn to commit all that we are and have to the Lord. May we not reserve any aspect of our lives, but yield in all of our lives in its entirety to the will of a sovereign God. It was difficult for Hannah in the years of her barrenness, but as difficult as it was, the yieldedness of her life is demonstrated in her responses. Her commitment can be seen in the civil way that we re she responded to others, both those that wanted to help and didn't, those that were trying to add to her troubles, and those that were misunderstood and misguided like Eli. Regardless, she had a good response. She remained submissive to the Lord. She did not doubt his goodness, his mercy, his grace, or his power. I cannot guarantee that the story always ends like this one does. But I can guarantee that if we respond to the Lord in an appropriate manner, despite all of our sufferings and hardships, that we'll have a testimony 
that speaks volumes of our love for the Lord and his grace and his mercy towards us. I'm delighted to look at the outcome next week. Let's pray. Our Father, help us all. I don't know what people are going through. I don't know the struggles. I don't know the anxieties. I don't know the hurts. There may be some that have been hurting for a very, very long time that are encountering situations in which other people are not being helpful. In fact, some people might actually be trying to make the situation worse, pouring salt into the wounds. Lord, perhaps people have reached out and found that other people can't meet their needs. And so they are at wit's end. I pray for anyone this morning who's suffering because their spouse has not met their need, their children have not met their need, their parents have not met their need, the church has not met their need, the pastors have not met their need. Lord, teach us of your love. Teach us of your grace. Teach us that you and you alone can meet our needs. Keep us strong. Keep us faithful. Keep us committed. Keep us kind. Keep us sweet. Keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.